And I always say, you want to be known as a great teacher? Go to your students' soccer games, show up at the hospital, send notes home. Parents will never know or be able to assess um, your level of competency, but they do know how much you care. And, and in 30 some years with Holland, that was largely how I saw parents assess who the great teachers were, is they were just good people showing up. And I may have seen behind the scenes, oh, this person isn't totally committed to their craft. They haven't really grown as a professional, but they've always been there as a human being. And that made the big difference. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I am your host, Dan Moyle, and I believe in the power of story, whether we're talking about education like we are right now, personal connections, business, it all comes down to storytelling. And it's what separates us from all other life forms on earth. It connects us at a deep, deep level. And we're about to get into a deep conversation with another fantastic storyteller. Before we do, a quick reminder, the website has everything you need, resources, past interviews, uh, connections, contact information for me. Visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for all of that. And be sure to subscribe via email. You can sign up right there on the subscribe tab. And that way you'll get emails when we have new episodes. Uh, today's guest, is a former director of communications for a public school system in Michigan and the co-founder of a community that helps communication professionals in schools. It's called the School Communicators Network, and Tom Page is my guest. He's an entrepreneur working to help schools tell a better story and help school communicators understand this world of story. And he is what he calls, not necessarily a storyteller, but something different, and I'm excited for you to hear that. So let's get to Tom's stories. Tom Page, welcome to the Storytellers Network. Thank you for taking time. Uh, we're recording on a Saturday morning, which is, for most interviews, kind of odd, but I love it, man. Welcome, welcome to the show. Well, I'm an old guy, so I'm up anyway, so this, it's great <laughs> to be here, Dan. Brew a cup of coffee and, and chat with a friend, right? You bet. So, Tom, do you consider yourself a storyteller? When you ask people that question, I always pause and... and I, I think like your last guest, Laura, uh, mm. kind of took her aback too. I'd say I'm more a story encourager or a, a story sharer. Um, I, I guess I've never really thought of myself as a storyteller. Story encourager. That's, that's a new one. I like that. That's, what does that mean to you? Um, in, in the field of education where I've had oh, more than 30 years um, background in it, it, it there's a lot of stories occurring in education sometimes uh they get blocked by the the issues and the 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 politics of education but the best of education always has a a, a person be it a teacher a student a, a board member a parent uh, a coach a um, lot, lot of great stories there and it, if i can encourage 
that person, if I can get to the root of that story, um, that's what I try to do. You know, the, 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 that's why I'm not a very good storyteller in that the story is, is, is rarely about me or never should be. But it, uh, as I try to unearth um, the best about them and, and what makes that person tick, uh, that's why I, I call it an encourager. So most people are reluctant to even talk about themselves. And, and certainly I understand that. But the more I can stand with a person, say, let's tell that story, people need to hear that story, uh, eventually we'll get to something pretty good. So you empower the others to share their stories and you're the, the vehicle for that then? Um, so. To a degree, I, I would say I more de-empower. For example, one of the superintendents I worked with, you know, many degrees, uh, we needed to tell his story. But as the more we talked, the more I was impressed by um, him being raised on a farm really seemed to be, to me, the connection that our community needed to know about him. Mm -hmm. The values he was raised, why he went into education, certainly. Uh, I, but it took me some time to move from the resume, which was impressive and he was quite proud of, to say, tell me about your parents. Tell me about growing up on your grandpa's farm. And that really was a, a nice toehold for a new superintendent in, in our community anyway to uh, become more relatable and build connections in our community, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. So, so it sounds like you've got a natural curiosity that you want to find the root, the, the why, the, the story behind the story then. Oh, you bet. You bet. That's always the interesting um, part. And uh, um, it, it is good to have a natural curiosity or uh, to just be nosy, I guess. To, <laughs> nosy. Uh, I like that. Yeah. So is that so I call it a natural curiosity. Is that something, Tom, that you do have naturally, or did you develop that over your 30-year career? I wouldn't say I developed it. I, I would say, given my generation as a boomer, uh, I was raised in a household with three brothers where our parents were always telling us, if you're talking about yourself, you're talking about the wrong person. It's always about somebody else. So I think in um, this era of personal brands and get out there with selfies and, and put the spotlight on yourself. That's still extremely difficult for me. But uh, I do think I was raised in a household where we were um, uh, encouraged, in some cases forced, uh, <laughs> to show an interest in others. And uh, uh, usually, as you know, when you start talking to other people, uh, there's usually hidden gems and blessings that come along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that um, is, is story... I don't want to ask if it's new to education and getting those things out there. Cause I know it's not, but I, but I, I'm fascinated by the idea that you know nothing under the sun is new, right. Or nothing new is under the sun. Mm -hmm. However you say it. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about stories so much right now. And like you just said, Tom, personal branding and selfies and everything that we get out there and we, we tell our story, but in reality, I mean, that's been going on forever that we tell our stories, right? Like whether it's old school kind of print newsletters whether it's presentations, however it is, just because we have social media now to help schools tell better stories doesn't mean that they haven't been doing it all along. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a real fair assessment. I, I, I think the difficulty today in the, for the field of education, and this is probably true for most anything now, is that because we want to show off, because we want to um, use our own jargon and acronyms in our field, I, th I think we make our story much more difficult and much more unrelatable <laughs> than it has to be. Mm. Uh, 
and I don't mean this to say, hey, let's go back to the days of Andy Griffith and Barney Fife and, and those kind <laughs> of um, that era. But I always was impressed that, uh, let's say, the storytelling of the Andy Griffith show, I've all, I was always impressed um, when I read about the writers and uh, lately how they would take two or three minutes to set up the story. They would take four or five minutes to set up a punchline or a particular face or reaction from Don Knotts. And they really took time to, uh, to, to, to build in those connections. And I, I think that as education, which is, I mean, really a 13 year process when you think, or 14 if it's pre-K through 12, it, it's a series of next step, next step, new relationships, sharing friends, sharing moments, sharing experiences, some in the classroom, some outside, be it a prom or a game or uh, robotics um, club and so forth. Um, it just takes time. And I think sometimes, be it the um, Twitter sphere, uh, Facebook, uh, education tends to get in a rush too, and we don't really tell our story well. Maybe I didn't say that well, but I think we don't make a good use of time to share the, the people, the, the, the interesting people and great programs that we have um, because we get caught up in our own jargon and trying to show it off. I like that. I like several parts of what you just said, Tom. I love that the, the moments are what matter. And then we don't take the time to look at those moments and tell those stories. We get caught up in our acronyms. So yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. um, in our own jargon. I, I, I follow the same thing, I'm sure, when I'm writing for my marketing job of falling into jargon, but I, I hate jargon so much. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we get caught up in that so easily. Um, and, and it's fundamentally a, a decision-making thing and choices that are made in the household. For example, uh, if any of your listeners go back to your interview with Jason Falls, I thought it was very interesting when the two of you maybe recall it. I mean, you interview so many people, but remember he, he approached with his teenagers, their use of social, uh, social media and how he kind of monitored that, monitored that a little bit differently than you did. And the two of you just dad to dad were sharing that and that really um, struck me. And we had a scholar at uh, the high school in our district, um, Hispanic young man, uh, very gifted, quite bright, full scholarship to college. And once again, you, you can imagine what the write-up was in the uh, the newspaper and so forth that I assisted with, but it was later than I got got a chance to meet his dad, and uh, like I said, you know, um, Mr. Hernandez, how did how did you shape your your son's academic career and how well he's doing in school, you know? And, and he said, really, I I didn't because I I quit school in fourth grade. I'm working in a local factory, but my wife and I just made the decision. At nine o'clock every night, the TV goes off, the internet goes down, and our kids are going to read. <laughs> and mm. I thought, whoa, here's, here's that dad. There's, a, there's an influencer right from the get-go. To me, that was the story. How did this kid overcome poverty and um, um, a very interesting background is that he had parents who um, tried to make it work in their own way. Mm -hmm. And what a gift it sounds like to you that you get to uncover those stories and be that encourager that you said earlier, that's, and, and have a career that long of that and in, in our school systems with 
young people who really are the future and a beautiful gift to all of us. So that's, that's mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think it, over, over your experience, Tom, you, as I said, it's, it's a gift, right? But why do you think that we love stories so much? What is it that, that moves us with stories rather than just these facts that you talked about, like resumes and stuff? Um, for any of us that work in an organization, uh, and, and in fact, uh, in the state of Michigan, uh, if you have a school district and I, your wife's on the school board, so she knows this too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to post or, or you have to at least turn into the state your, uh, your organizational chart, you know, where you have these boxes and these lines and who reports to who. So it's, it's all very clear uh, about the chain of command. So I think when you operate in that kind of structure, you tend to look to, well, who's certified, who can do this, who's the boss, who do you report to, who reports to you, um, what's your lane, is I think story transcends all of that, at least to me it does, and as, as you and I are, as we chatted earlier before the podcast, husband to husband, father to father, entrepreneur to entrepreneur, marketer to marketer, storyteller uh, to story encourager, uh, whatever it is, that, that transcends everything in, in, in my book. So uh, I do think you're right about the, 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 the power of story. Hmm. So I wanted to ask something about uh, how schools can tell better stories, how maybe teachers can tell better stories. But as I was thinking about that, I thought, man, we put so much on teachers already. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think about like, as a marketer of an agency, I can't write everything for the company. I rely on my team to help give me story ideas and do things with me and create things with me. Like we're all storytellers. So, so I guess in some way I want to unpack that when it comes to, to schools, but in particular teachers, I mean, cause they're the, the women and men who are in the classroom who are working face to face with these amazing students. Yeah. Right. So yeah. how can, how can we support teachers to help them tell better story, to help them tell stories more often and better and pull those out so that schools can tell those stories. That's a lot uh, to unpack. <laughs> yeah, good question. I, I think that in the same way you approach the, the, the talented people that you interview, Dan, is I could be wrong, but I don't think you said to Jay Bear or uh, Chris Brogan, hey, just tell me the best of the best and, and, and don't, um, tell me about behind the scenes or any of your personal struggles. And I think that if we got back to your question about teachers, I think we have to allow our teachers to be human. So sometimes in the, um, the school PR sense, we'll have a teacher who maybe is doing a great program and maybe that great program is supported by a $5,000 grant by a local business. And um, of the 20 kids who are in this program, 17 are going on to Harvard. So you're, so you're listing all these bullet points about the achievements and the partnership and uh, look what's happening here. And we've really never talked about the teacher at all. And, and in many cases, when you talk to a, a, a teacher, and I would say in every case, when you have the time to talk to a teacher, their hero's journey as to how they got to that moment in time is uh, quite interesting, be it going to a Bible camp and deciding they wanted to get work with kids more, or they maybe started as a first grade teacher 
and then later found out they really preferred to work with high school kids and 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 so on so the short answer to your question would be just let teachers right or wrong <laughs> human uh or superhero just let them be teachers and let them share that and i think that's what will connect with the public and do you think that every school district ought to have one of those story encouragers to help those teachers pull those stories out and then put them into a uh, digestible format? Oh, by far. They not only need the encouragers, um, and, I, and I say plural because it, as you talk about with your guests, you have video, you have audio. I mean, what's Jay Bear take a video and what'd he say? He uh, <laughs> repurposes that 14 times. Right. Yeah. At so, least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he has a team to help him with that. So certainly that would be um, my advice to any school district is to, to look to audio, video, um, um, I think it was Chris Brogan to say step outside the industry is it would be a rare school district to bring in somebody like you who's outside of education, but you are that you have the skills that across the board that uh, a school district would need to tell those stories about their staff and programs. And, but I think beyond the story, I think the format has to be uh, friendly. Sometimes we think in terms of tweets and posts and so forth. What really is a, um, a legitimate way to get the stories out in your community? And depending um, on the community, it could be our stories are told at the coffee shops, our stories are told at the, the local nonprofits or the downtowns or the, the, uh, through PowerPoints. And, and I mean good PowerPoints, good presentations at the senior center or wherever. So I think I think sometimes uh, 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 school school leaders are um, prone to think they've tweeted it out, um, but that's not enough. That's not a connection. That's not a story by tweeting it out. Right. And and as much as I, I mean, shoot, I'm I'm addicted to Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and all that. But as, as much as I love digital media, like it really does come back down to connecting with other humans. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I love that you mentioned the senior center, the coffee shop. You know, just talking. As you mentioned earlier, my wife is on, on our local school board and she goes, she went to the, the, a concert this week at the school just to connect with other people mm -hmm. and hear those stories and, and so forth. So yeah, it's as much as we love digital, it really is just a tool to connect and connections, the, the biggest thing. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so good time. And in many of the cases, you know, when I give presentations to our um, new teachers every year, and, and I'm given 20 minutes as the, or I used to when I was the school uh, communications director for Holland Public Schools. You know, I had my 15 or 20 minutes of fame with the new staff. And I always say, you want to be known as a great teacher? Go to your students' soccer games, show up at the hospital, send notes home. Parents will never know or be able to assess um, your level of competency, but they do know how much you care. And, and in 30 some years with Holland, that was largely how I saw parents assess who the great teachers were, is they were just good people showing up. And I may have seen behind the scenes, oh, this person isn't totally committed to their craft. They haven't really grown as a professional, but they've always been there as a human being. And that made the big difference. You know, it's, it's funny because I, I think back on my school career. And yeah, it's the ones that were humans, mm -hmm. the ones that pulled that out of me, that had conversations with me that I had an English teacher in sixth grade 
that happened to make the connection that he served in the Marine Corps with my great uncle out in, and and he was in, he was, my great uncle was in California. Here I am in this little town in Southwest Michigan. Mm -hmm. And this guy makes the connection. and was like, Oh yeah, I served with your uncle in in Korean in the Korean war. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. What? Like, but that human (laughs) connection helped me to become a better writer and obsessed with great English. (laughs) Right. Um, because he was human, because mm-hmm. uh, he was always known as the the real hard ass teacher, the real jerk, the real right. you're gonna fail. But actually, he was just he's an old school marine. <laughs> I care about your life, Dan. You know, yeah. beyond the B plus or C minus or whatever you're yeah. great. No, that's good. And 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 those and again, it always comes back to story connects us. Sharing mm-hmm. the stories, uh, just human to human. So mm-hmm. very cool. What do you think is one of your biggest challenges? Uh, with storytelling today? Um, getting people to believe, um, and I'm talking about, um, you know, as you know, one of my side gigs is uh, um, um, political campaigns. I've been fortunate enough either through bond elections or um, um, uh, local initiatives or state and Senate races to um, have either consulted or managed more than 140 uh, campaigns. And, and I think the hardest for me, and this does relate to the, the school industry too, um, Dan, with a superintendent or anybody who uh, you're trying to build public per- perception for, is just helping them believe that the fundamentals of humanity, the basics matter. And it's not always the whiz-bang uh, acronyms and credentials that um, make the difference. So for example, and I'm just using a political one here. I talked about the superintendent who had a farming background, but one of the political candidates I was, I was working with was very concerned because the person that they were running against was just endorsed by the Chamber of Commerce and had a arm's length list of endorsements from associations and groups. And we just sent out a simple card and said, hi, I'm running for state Senate. My mom, was a bus driver and a food service worker at the local school for 26 years and still is. My dad is a custodian at the hospital for 27 years and still is. I think you know the values that I was raised in, the household right down the street, probably just like yours, that those are what I'd like to take to the state capitol. And he won by a few votes and not because of me. And I mean, he, he worked very hard, but I just think Let's lean into who you are. <laughs> mm-hmm. We couldn't overcome this other, um, the opponent's length of uh, credentials and endorsements and political inside, um, I know, backers. But share who you are and, and people will decide accordingly. And you just have to have confidence in that. Okay. I love that. So, okay, yeah. And, and I think as you were talking about that at the beginning of it, I was immediately going in my mind to the idea of what I call shiny object syndrome and how we get so caught up in um, the next big thing. Right. Well, right. everybody's using TikTok. I need to be on TikTok. Well, wait a minute, let's figure out your story first. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the shiny technologies or it's the big uh, you know, other people out there that you're like, well, I'm not as, as good as them. It's, it's your story. Go back to the basics. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to be very comfortable in your own skin. And and I can't say I always have been, and I still uh, somewhat struggle with that. But uh, 
and whether this story relates or not, but it's one of the, um, it's probably one of my core stories that really helped me see through the whole um, um, marketing uh, domain was that about eight years ago, my in-laws who, who were in their late seventies had an anniversary and uh, my wife bought tickets to uh, the Blue Gate Theater in uh, Shipshawana, Indiana to, for the four of us to go down and hear the Hoppers, uh, a country mu or, uh, gospel music group and uh, in the Southern Gospel Hall of Fame and very uh, acclaimed and, uh, and, and really, a, but I had never heard of them. <laughs> I wasn't even sure I was into Southern Gospel all that much, <laughs> but uh, it was their trip, their anniversary. So off we went and we get into this small theater uh, in, in Indiana and about 200 seats. The hoppers aren't on yet, but I notice in the crowd, there probably isn't a person in this crowd that's under age 75. I mean, I was feeling like I was back in high school, like, holy cow, I'm, what's, what's happened to me? I'm with all these old people and, and I'm fairly old myself, but, uh, and uh, the, the, the Mr. Hopper came out as he was introduced in the group and he said, wow, it is so amazing to see all this white hair out here and people kind of chuckled and he said, raise your hand. I just like to know, but what this white hair tells me is that we have a group of people who suffered the loss of a friend, who maybe have had a business deal go south, who maybe have lost a friend or two due to a circumstance. Maybe there's a child that they're praying for that they know are, are very uh, um, in doubt that their course will be turned around. And he kind of ran through this litany. And he goes, is there anybody here who hasn't experienced at least one or two of these things? And, and, and uh, no, holy cow, he's really building a connection with this audience. And he goes, our group is the hoppers. You know, we aren't preachers. We aren't teachers. We aren't doctors. We aren't dentists. We aren't lawyers. But we do try to have our music encourage you as, 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 as you go through life. So let's just enjoy the night together. And, and, and I was really quite touched by, whoa, wait, wait to set the stage and uh, position yourself for what your group does. Uh, connect with the audience that we've all had uh, our, our own measure of tough times here and there. And uh, that, that was quite a, a marketing moment for me. Right. And, and uh, it's something that, that as I work with candidates or superintendents or schools, let's build those kind of moments. What, what is it you can share? What is it you can bring to the table? Describe what you are, how you can help. And, and that's good enough. It doesn't have to be the cure for cancer. It's a, again, coming back to your own story, that mm -hmm. the empathy that you can connect with somebody else with. So yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to tell a story. I like that one. That was good. Um, so Tom, what is an example of a life-changing story for you? If you think about, you know, a story that's, that's changed your life, what comes to mind? Um, well, I've had so many, the, uh, I, I, I think the, the divorce I went through, um, oh, about 30 years ago, 28 years ago, um, I had a business that was kind of a failing and I just could not see myself as a unsuccessful person, but, um, in a way I was, and, uh, I made a suicide attempt, um, that was fairly severe. And for six weeks, 
or actually seven weeks, I was in a um, one of our local hospitals as a uh, uh, involuntary uh, uh, patient. So I wasn't going to get out of there until they checked off. And while I was in that hospital with about 50 other people and you have your small groups and you have your, your sessions, I would say a, a, a life-changing moment for me was the therapy session I had with six other, six women whose fathers had successfully, um, quote unquote, successfully committed suicide and the anger that they had toward their dad and the shame and the guilt and everything they felt by that. And those six women were able to share for me to say, Tom, you have two daughters. You should thank God that you're still alive because you can go back out there, recommit because what you would have done to your daughters. And these other six women, frankly, um, their dads were scoundrels. I mean, in two cases, the, the dads had molested uh, them or uh, just, just horrible. <laughs> You know, I mean, it wasn't, I, I mean, I was trying to think what's even redeeming about any of these fathers that they were describing to me. But as these six women shared their story, so their individual stories and how I uh, almost screwed mine up, uh, that, that was really quite impactful to me. But it was the stories of others, really, that uh, kind of got me uh, saying, hey, there's, <laughs> once I get out of here, uh, I, 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 I don't have to. Uh, be discouraged. I don't have to view myself as a loser. Um, my two daughters still need me. Um, my employer still needs me. Everybody, uh, you know, life goes on. Mm -hmm. And how does that experience of despair that you went through, the struggles, how does that affect um, your, your storytelling, your story encouraging today? Um, well, I'm able to cut to the chase inwardly about what's the worst that could happen. So it, it, it does allow me to uh, um, cer certainly be a little bit more empathetic um, than probably what I was. I was probably more arrogant prior to um, my downward slide, uh, more so than empathetic. Um, but the, the way it helps today is you're just able to bring a different perspective to the situation in this place. So as you know, um, loneliness is at an, uh, an all-time high. Suicide rates, particularly in schools, seem to be at an all-time high. So as um, school districts like to, and maybe your, your wife's school uh, is doing the same, certainly they have criteria and teachers are watching for this and what are the signals for, uh, what are the danger signs for our kids? And we want to watch those things. But really, though, they, they do take time. And they really are stories that evolve over time. So what I tried to fight back, at least in my own district, was that once in a while, we would have a suicide attempt by a student or a, a successful suicide um, that was quite tragic. And we had this two-week flurry of watch for danger signs, we care, here's the funeral and school is gonna be closed for the afternoon so the kids can all go to the funeral. And I get all that, but then six weeks later, we're on, we're on to the next crisis of the day. And um, we're, we're kind of forgetting so to, um, the, the discipline or the system that it takes 
to, to really be um, good monitors of our, 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 our students' emotions and so forth. And really, Dan, it goes back to the teacher that you mentioned who was a military guy. He knew Dan. He was willing to talk to Dan. And, and, and I think sometimes the teachers or the staff members that I would work with, it's just talk to your students so that you can gauge their emotions and you can tell if they're having a good day or bad day. I mean, I get that there's this list of warning signs you're trying to check off and just, just get, get to know your students individually and um, they'll come to you if they need you. Hmm. So that was the impact for me. How do you, so man, there's so much to unpack in, in schools and depression and suicide rates and everything else. Um, we don't have the time for that, for that. Yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's so much, but how, I mean, gosh, time you went through that. You faced that. I, I, in my past, I've faced that. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine who died by suicide. I considered suicide at one point. I mean, we all, so many of us go through these, these deep, dark points and then we don't talk about it. How, how do we, reach students so that they know that we're there without, you know, some people would be concerned with glorifying it necessarily. Is it just sharing our stories when it's appropriate? Um, yes and no. I, I, I think that uh, my counselor when I was in the, you know, the mental health facility really said, and really, Dan, this is, you know, I've mentioned it to you before that Tom, you'll know you're mentally healthy if you're not using this experience for your own gain. And if you're talking about it like you're bragging about it or that you think it was a good thing and you're such a wonderful overcomer, et cetera, et cetera. So I probably in 25 years have only brought this up in discussion maybe a handful of times uh, because I've always been fearful um, that I didn't want to use something that was a gift that I could use to maybe help others. Um, but I think it's just, to, it, it really has to be um, kind of what um, I'm trying to think. I think it was Dr. Seuss talking about Christmas time, you know, where he says, really, we, we want to be people of heart to heart, hand to hand. And I think the more we stray from that, whether it's a business or a school, um, <laughs> the more trouble we seem to get ourselves in. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So it may not necessarily be a matter of walking around with a button on your jacket that says, no, no. I, I know about suicide, but it's just connecting with people. And again, being human. Mm -hmm. you, you have to earn the right to share your story. Maybe that's the, if, uh, and it could just be a, I mean, when, when you see student surveys, about teachers that don't even acknowledge that they exist. And I'm talking zero. Let's start with a smile. Let's start with eye contact. I mean, those are, I just don't believe a teacher who is gonna be watching for danger signs of suicide if they don't even know <laughs> who their kids are mm -hmm. or don't even acknowledge them. That just seems like such a disconnect to me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's forget the checklist and just let's worry about smiling and mm -hmm. acknowledging and helping our kids know that they're recognized and we want them to be recognized. And isn't that really the point of story that we, we, we all want to be seen and mm -hmm. known and be recognized. And when we, when we see ourselves in another story, we, we feel seen and that's just so huge. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. I mean, I remember the story. You know, I mentioned the one Hispanic scholar, and here's this dad. Um, they grew up in Mexico, and, and this boy um, walked three miles to school, and it was through a pumpkin patch. And uh, obviously, this pumpkin patch was on a farm, privately owned. And uh, when um, the, the boy came back home with a pumpkin, um, the, uh, the dad was quite concerned that his son had stolen um, uh, this pumpkin. <laughs> and they walked a mile and a half back on that path. And, and the boy was able to show his dad um, where two or three pumpkins had rolled into the path. And he had just picked up one of those off the pathway that he had not gotten onto the farmer's property. <laughs> and I just thought between this dad turning off internet and TV at nine o'clock, this dad just kind of double checking uh, the, the stories <laughs> that his son was coming home with. Uh, I, I thought that meant a lot. Yeah. We, we want to trust our kids, but we can't trust our kids. So no, that's good. That's yeah. <laughs> to verify, right? Right, right. Um, oh man, so good. So, so Tom, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Get back to kind of the the technical side of stuff. Um, yeah. You so you've got you've got a thirty year career behind you. You call yourself an old guy. I don't I don't think so, but I'll take that. <laughs> um, you mentioned newspapers. You've mentioned Twitter. We have a lot of channels today that mm -hmm. we can choose from as storytellers but it's so hard. How, how do you suggest we get our stories out today? I think we have to invite our, our people to our stories, let them know that they exist and that there's um, wonderful things going on here. So let's say be it text messaging, um, um, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, whatever it may be. In my opinion, those are kind of alerts here's what's happening, but the action is over here. So let's say, for example, with um, when you interviewed Chris Brogan, I will get emails because, because I'm a part of, uh, as anybody who pays, um, Chris's uh, and, and Rob's uh, owner's insiders group, you get alerts about what's happening there and it alerts you to the webinar or the workshop or the training that they're doing over there. And I, and I think that would be a model that I think schools and organizations alert people to what's happening over there, but you can get the story out here. And then I think a big, a big thing for schools, Dan, that is underrepresented is we all have uh, in schools captive audience opportunity, be it the basketball game, the football game, the um, uh, open houses, the concerts, the plays, the list goes on and on. The, the teachers are sending notes home. Classroom teachers are doing their own newsletters, but have very little um, tie-ins to what the rest of the, you, you and I would call it cross promotions, but have very little information about the re, what the rest of the district has happening. And um, um, so at the basketball game, rather than just hand out a roster of the players, maybe on the back you are featuring three or four stories or to see more, read more, over here at our YouTube channel, we have this going on. Mm. I think it's, it's, it all begins with an awareness too. And then when people go there, there's actually something worth seeing. Mm. And, and I think that we often, in schools, how many times have you been alerted? Oh, we have this, go over here and see that. And you go over there and there's one video <laughs> that's four years old and that's <laughs> what you're routed through. So yeah. you no, know, people don't like to be fooled or 
bait and switched into thinking something's exciting there. So it brings to mind what we talked about earlier, the schools need story encouragers, plural. Um, and, and yet we talk about how much, you know, teachers don't get paid enough. They have to bring in their own supplies. Uh, districts are, are hurting for money, all these things. Public education to me, it seems is, is hurting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How critical is it then? Like, is this a chicken or egg situation where, yeah, we need to hire some school communicators to help us get the story out, to get more support, but we can't have the money to hire them. So like, where do we, this seems like a, a kind of a mess. How do we clean it up? <laughs> um, in, in my mind, and I'm not trying to sound uh, extremely libertarian about it. It's just that let's say if anybody listens to um, your last guest, or at least the one I've heard, uh, Laura Sandifer with Acton Academy and what spawned her and her husband to um, do something different for their children. Um, I think we have to open up the process. So, I mean, if we're gonna be driven by standardized tests, teachers are gonna be forced to teach the test and then they're gonna be paid based on how well their kids do on the test or their level of improvement and so forth. So um, um, I, I think we have to have a discussion again of what truly matters in education and what truly matters, what kind of relationships and support and confidence and uh, uh, trust do we want to um, have our children grow in curiosity. I mean, I don't think, I mean, Seth Godin, uh, I mean, he really goes after, I don't know if you talked to education with him, but he, he really goes after uh, the current state of education. It has nothing to do with dollars in his mind. It's um, we're all about stamping out dreams and we really aren't supporting kids in their dreams. And we're all about testing and processes and systems because we've politicized it. And so there's probably where I would start is before we put money in, or more money into um, a system that's struggling, it'd be nice to get the politicians open it up so that local communities working with the larger collaboratives, and I'm talking about universities and and uh, employers and so forth can, can do what they think is best for their kids. Because I see as I travel the state now doing consulting for a variety of school districts, everybody, when they're allowed to do their, um, when your wife's district is allowed to do her, um, um, uh, ha have education delivered differently than maybe a school district in Northern Michigan, or maybe much different than a, a district in the, the Detroit area, um, that's where I would start, Dan, is just allowing not only people to be people, but let systems be system, systems, let communities be communities, and uh, let's, let's reestablish it there again. And then, then we would know where the, the dollars are best spent. And certainly that is with the teachers and staff. No, no argument for me there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe at that point, we can begin to help our districts tell our stories, help our individual schools, even classrooms, tell their stories and get mm -hmm. that more support that way. And, and then and then it's a natural fit to talk about things like uh, bonds and millages and need for money. Cause then you're right. Cause then, right. cause then you have that support, you have ambassadors, you have evangelists for your school. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and, and we've added to the, the, the list of schools. I mean, public education is noble and, and, and honorable. Um, I think over the last 25 years, we just keep piling on with societal issues and expect schools to be the place to sort it all out. 
Mm. And, and while schools need to be there, because that's where kids are there a lot, no, I mean, no doubt about it, but uh, we, we complicate the, 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 the situation. And I really do think that we put teachers, um, principals and superintendents, school board members into lose-lose situations. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I think of you and, and, and your marketing business and what you and your colleagues try to do, you try to put your clients into win-win situations. Right. And uh, um, so that's the way that we should treat our schools the same way you treat your clients. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tom, this has been a whole lot of fun, man. I, I have really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, and, and, I, and it went, it went where it went because it needed to go there. And I love talking <laughs> about education. This is, this has been really cool. Oh, thank you, Dan. Before uh, we get to my, my final question, uh, where can people best connect with Tom Page and School Communicators Network? Uh, our website is SCN for you. So it's SCNFORYOU.com, School Con- Communicators Network, but SCNFORYOU.com. And all the information to connect with me is there. Fantastic. We'll put some links in the show notes to like you know, your LinkedIn and all that as well. But uh, yeah, SCNFORYOU.com, mm-hmm. stuff there. So, Tom, if someone were to tell you tomorrow, you can no longer be that story encourager that you consider <laughs> yourself. Uh, what would the last story that you tell be? Hmm. I think probably living in the age that we do, um, you know, with whistleblowers and the politics and the, the, the trust and distrust and all that's going on is probably the story I would tell is uh, about my mom. Uh, the original whistleblower. Now, back when I grew up, you know, most of us just had one phone hanging in the kitchen and maybe the cord might be 12 feet tangled up long, but (laughs) your mom could be cooking or whatever and kind of overhear things. And probably the story I would tell, and this is the one if when people ask, well, tell me about you, how were you raised, is growing up in Flint, when I was in middle school, baseball was a big deal. And every spring we would always my friends and I would circulate our rosters because kids could sign up to be on, you'd turn in your own roster to be on a uh, uh, recreational league team. And you'd have 15 friends or whoever you could get to be on your team to be the 15 members on your team. And my friends were putting together a team and they really weren't into baseball, but they liked playing. And I was really into baseball. I, I played it a lot. I love baseball. And I agreed to be on that team. And uh, one day my mom overheard me on the phone because I was explaining to my friends, say, hey, guys, I can't be on your team. Cross me off your list because the high school coach called me and, and he's putting together a team of eighth graders. And uh, those of us who are probably going to play freshman and varsity in the coming years. And he's putting together a summer team that he wants 15 of us to be on. And I've been asked to be on that team. So I can't play for you. Sorry, guys. See you later at school. And I hung up and my mom said, uh, well, it's too bad you're not going to play baseball this summer. I was like, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And she said, did you tell your friends and, and you signed up that you were going to be on their team? I said, yeah. I said, but the coach should know. If you told your friends that you're going to be on their team, you were going to be on their team or you're not playing baseball. And uh, about when summer started, our first game, of course, was against the high school coaches <laughs> that I should have been on and we got beat like 17 to one because I was playing with my friends. But uh, that, that was kind of a, 
just the way I was raised. And uh, my mom was the uh, a whistleblower before it was uh, popular mm. because she would just overhear what my brothers and I were doing. I don't think she spied on us. She would just was aware. We didn't have our own phones. We had a family phone and um, she was aware of who my friends are and so forth. So that's uh, that's the story I'd probably tell as I'm grateful to my mom, the whistleblower, and uh, I learned a lot of lessons along the way. That's a, that's a great example of raising kids right. Make Stand by the commitments that you've made and take care of others. Now, did you end up playing on the high school team? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and eventually for that other coach. And, and even the coach said later he he appreciated it as a parent. But I mean, as a kid, you never right. <laughs> you, you never know what conspiring is, go, is going on between parent to parents. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think parents kind of, and it was back in the era where, um, Adults kind of stood together on the decisions that they made. Mm. Great stuff, Tom. Thank you for sharing that and for sharing everything that you did today and uh, and being part of the Storytellers Network. Man, I really appreciate it. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Dan. <laughs>